This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. Good morning. So today is Fat Tuesday, so I thought I would fatten you up with some statistics. You ready? This is going to get you through Lent. All right, so my name is Melissa Sedade, and I am with Kara, and I love numbers, and I know that lots of you don't. So I am not going to turn this into an introduction to statistics lecture, I promise, though there might be a test at the end, just so you know. We are going to be talking about the uh, change over time in Catholic parishes in the United States. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to pull through this in two different ways. First, we're going to take sort of a uh, view from uh, 30,000 feet, and then we're going to sort of drill down a little bit and see what's going on on the ground. So let's take our big picture. Um, OK. We're going to start with a negative, because then there's no way to go but up. Yes, parishes are closing in the United States. It's not just a feeling. It's not just a, uh, a, a general zeitgeist. It's true. Um, in particular, they're closing in the upper Midwest, which you can see in orange, um, and in the Northeast, which you can see in red. Um, in other parts of the country, the numbers of parishes are staying relatively stable, um, particularly in the lower Midwest. You can see it's sort of in the yellow. And then there are parts of the country where we see the number of parishes increasing. And this isn't terribly surprising. Um, out in the, the far west and then down in the south, okay? But what happens when we take that wide view, well, actually, what, what that begs the question is then, is why are parishes, parish closings so regionalized? And what we hypothesize here at CARA is that um, it's the pattern of growth in the Catholic populations by census region over the last 60 years. So you can see that Catholics were still concentrated in the Northeast and the Midwest in the 1950s, um, and were just beginning to grow out of the traditional immigrant population settlement patterns that had so marked the Catholic experience in the United States in the 19th and century and early years of the 20th century. But clearly, the greatest growth in Catholic population since the 1950s has been in the West and the South, those areas that lit up green on our first map, yeah? Um, some of this growth is due to immigration. Um, there are still significant numbers of uh, immigrating to the United States from various Catholic population centers around the world. Although um, some of this is growth is due to natural increase, although Catholics nationally have about the same uh, family size as uh, other Americans. But much of this growth is due to internal migration. We just see a general movement of people in the United States out of the Northeast, mostly out of the urban areas of the Northeast, and to the South and West, where the jobs are. Um, so it shouldn't terribly surprise us that Catholics are using the same migratory patterns as other, migratory, they sound like birds, the same migratory patterns as other populations in the United States. What happens is, though, these populations move, and they don't take their parishes with them. So we're starting to see, or we have seen evidence of, a population mismatch, no? Um, I highlight, in particular, uh, Allegheny County in Pennsylvania, because I'm from western Pennsylvania, and so, you know, you got to represent. Um, and what we see in Allegheny P County, Pennsylvania, which is home to Pittsburgh, is that it's number three in the country for the number of parishes, but number 15 for Catholic population. Now, the two counties directly below that, um, in Michigan and Massachusetts, are even more stark, being number four and number five, respectively, for number of parishes in the United States, but number 38 and number 35 in Catholic population. 
So we're seeing a mismatch here in terms of where the Catholics are and where their parishes are. The other issue that we're facing is aging infrastructure. And I, I don't think I need to tell many of you here that. Um, we did a, a quick sort of histogram here of when our parishes in the United States were built. And we can see two um, very specific peaks, no? We can see one right around the turn of the century, 1901 to 1925. And then we see another one, 1951 to 1975, right around you know, the baby boom and, and, and that generation. Um, and so what happens is uh, the infrastructure that we do have in place that has this population mismatch is also aging, right? But even that aging isn't evenly distributed. So when we break it out by area, we can see that our oldest parishes are in the upper northeast and midwest again, the same places where we're seeing the loss of population. And the youngest parishes, or I guess they're the youngest, the most recently built, um, are also home to our newest populations of Catholics or our recently migrated populations of Catholics. Okay, So all of these things are moving together and we need to keep all of these things in mind when we look at the picture of Catholic parishes in the United States. The other issue at hand is that newer parishes tend to be larger than the parishes that preceded them, which actually surprised me. When I think of older parishes, I think of these grand, older, you know, cathedral-like spaces, but it's just not true. The majority of the older parishes tend to be fairly small, and that makes sense. They were founded as um, culturally specific or family specific parishes. And parishes that are founded in, in, uh, in, in later years oftentimes have to meet a certain seating requirement before they even get the, the uh, rights to build. So we see that newer, newer parishes are larger. So even though we have this population mismatch, there perhaps isn't quite the mismatch in seating. So let's keep that in mind too. Of course, the second reason that we suspect that Catholic parishes are closing, um, aside from the movement of, of populations, is the number of priests. Um, most of us know that the number of ordinations has decreased over the last 30 years or so, but what we don't always take into account in this decline is that um, ordina ordination needs to be coupled with the aging and death of active priests. So not only have we seen a decline in the number of vocations, but we've also seen um, what we affectionately call the graying of the priesthood. And I can say that because I work for a gray priest. <laughs> oh. <laughs> As such, it's not enough that ordinations keep pace, but there's a further deficit driven by priests dying and leaving active ministry. And uh, Father Tom Gaunt later in the day will talk to you more about that trend. So we did a quick projection. I mean, we can't know the future, but we can use data to make some good predictions about what's going to happen in the future. And what we find um, is that the red squares on the, on the chart there, they represent the number of active diocesan priests. And we already discussed the downward trend, and you can see that there. Um, the green triangles represent the number of parishes. And we expect that the parishes will continue to close, but that the pace will slow, that a lot of the growing pains are, are going to start to settle out. Um, the result of the leveling off of the number of parishes and the continued downward trend of diocesan priests leads to an increase in the number of parishes without a resident pastor, represented by the purple diamonds in the chart. So again, we have these movements of population, we have these movements in, in uh, the priests and where they are, and what the result is, is an increase in the number of priestless or pastorless parishes. Okay. 
keep going. This is just another representation of what we're talking about here. Um, the map shows the arch and archdiocese and diocese with surplus priests in the light green and the dark green, and those with a shortage of priests in the yellow and the red, uh, relative to the number of parishes in the archdiocese or diocese. Note that we're only considering active diocesan priests, not religious order priests. In this case, they're a little bit more difficult to count and to, to keep within diocesan boundaries. So we limited our analysis to active diocesan priests. And when we look at the ratio relative to the number of parishes, we sort of see a, a, um, a reinforcement of some of the trends that we've talked about earlier, about where the, the parishes are, where the Catholics are. Okay. So all of this results in some new models of parish leadership, although it should be noted that the majority of parishes are still strictly um, priest-led parishes. Um, note that about one in four parishes is a multi-parish ministry site. These are parishes where a parish is sharing staff and other resources, but all worship uh, spaces are still active. So that's what that little table is just showing you right there, is the, uh, the increase in the, the diversity of models of parish leadership. And then I left some definitions to the side there <clears throat> because statisticians love definitions. So let's zoom in a little bit to the people that we uh, see in the pews. Okay, this is one of my favorite charts. Yes, we have favorites. Let's start with a demographic basic, uh, which is age distribution. You'll notice that the mean, that is the average age, is about 53 years old. However, notice that about half of respondents are millennial or post-Vatican II. Now, this is a survey of people in pew. So these are the people that we know we're getting in the door. This might surprise some people who assume that young people are just not found in the pews. Um, even these data, though, are too far removed. Let's zoom in a little bit closer um, on these folks. Any closer, and they're going to tell me to back off. So here's the age distribution by race and ethnicity. And the trend that we see here is that minority respondents tend to be even younger on average. Um, the overall mean average is 53 years old. The white non-Hispanic mean is 55 years old. But the Hispanic mean is 45 years old, a full 10 years younger on average. And the other minority mean is 48 years old. So even those folks that we're getting in the pew uh, are starting to look different, right? There are different characteristics based on the demographics in the area, but also by parish. Um, just for those who are, are wondering about the survey, um, we have about 65% of our respondents are non-Hispanic white, um, and 18% are Hispanic. Just keep that in mind. There's always that one guy who wants to know the margin of error, so there it is. So let's talk about these different populations within our parish. We have thrown everything we can at this question. This is our general catch-all evaluation question, which is please evaluate your overall satisfaction with the parish. These are the percentage, <clears throat> again, excuse me, in pew responding excellent. And we've thrown every independent variable we can at this, and we just can't find any statistically significant differences. So years attending the parish is not a significant predictor of satisfaction. Sex, marital status, children in the household, education, generation, you name it, we've thrown it at this question, and we just can't get it to break. So we would think, oh, OK, well, sort of one size fits all. Everybody's happy. It doesn't matter what demographic we throw at it. That's not exactly true. 
When we try other questions and we break them out by um, demographic and parish-based, excuse me, variables, we start to see some real differences. Um, in particular, when we ask questions that are um, culturally based, we start to see some real differences. So this question reads, parishioners of different cultures participate in parish life together. And was, the respondents were given a four-point Likert scale from strongly disagree to strongly agree. And what we see here is that the minority respondents are more likely uh, than the white non-Hispanic respondents to strongly agree. They're also more likely to strongly agree that parishioners of different culture participate participate in parish life together. I am comfortable with the increasing racial or ethnic diversity of the parish. Having people of different cultural backgrounds here enriches the parish. And the diversity of the parish is reflected in the parish staff. So again, when we ask about diversity, we see some differences by diversity. Yeah? Sort of makes sense. <coughs> Excuse me. As a result of this increasing diversity, we see that the parishes of, the, of the parishes responding, almost seven in 10 parishes serve a Hispanic or Latino population. Note that this doesn't always mean that mass is offered in a language other than English. So here we're asking, do you serve a particular racial, ethnic, cultural, or linguistic community? And we see that almost seven in 10 say they serve a Hispanic or Latino population. As we see here, about three in 10 parishes offer mass in a language other than English at least once a month. Of those who do, by far the greatest proportion are including Spanish, but a sizable group, one in five, is some other language. So we're recognizing that there's diversity, we're doing something, we're reaching out in some way, but it's not necessarily translating into mass offered in a language other than English. Another significant difference that we find over and over again has to do with registration. Um, when we ask, are you uh, registered in a Catholic parish, we get uh, generally 56%, um, so just over half, say yes. When we break it out by independent variables, we see that there are some serious differences, no? Um, so mass attendance, those who attend mass more regularly, more likely to be registered. Um, differences by age, older respondents are more likely to be registered. And differences by Hispanicity, white non-Hispanics are um, considerably more likely to be registered in their parish. Why is that important? Well, if you're trying to reach out to your population, you're trying to know more about your population, and you only look at your roles, you're going to miss a number of people, no? Pardon me. Okay, let's keep going. No one's glazed over yet, so that's a good sign. Drive-by Catholics. We love our drive-by Catholics. Another significant, very, significantly different variable is whether or not the respondent chooses the parish where they attend based on the location or something else. Notice again that whites are the least likely to travel to their parish compared to other racial or ethnic groups. That makes intuitive sense, though, no? Minority respondents, especially those who speak a language other than English, may be traveling further in order to find a parish that celebrates mass in their native language or has some outreach to that specific group. So we ask them, what is attracting you to this parish? The question stem was, how much does the following attract you to this parish? And respondents were once again given a four-point Likert scale from um, not at all to very much. And what do we find? 
We find that most respondents named elements of the liturgy and community as their biggest attractors. Fewer named programs and activities at the parish. I'm going to say that again because I think that's really important. Most named elements of the liturgy and community as attracting them to the parish. Fewer named programs and activities of the parish as attracting them to the parish very much. Okay? So we also asked par parishioners to evaluate aspects of parish life at their parish. At the same time, we asked pastors um, to evaluate the same aspects. Well, by pastors, I mean um, parish leadership. This included people on staff, people who volunteer extensively at the parish, um, people who are on um, um, council, parish, parish council, those kinds of things. We were surprised to see such a large discrepancy in the evaluation of parishes by parishioners and parish leaders. Is it that parish staff are harder on themselves? Is it that parishioners are happier than the parish staff think they are? We're not really sure what's happening here, but parishioners are evaluating um, more positively than the parish staff is itself. Stop being so hard on yourself. Let's get into worship and parish involvement. As I mentioned earlier, it is worship and community aspects that are most attractive to folks in the pews. So let's take a closer look at some of these indicators. Who is in the parish and when? First, we need to establish a baseline of who is in our parishes. We see that as we drill down on the various definitions of Catholic, uh, the figures get smaller. We start at the top with Catholic at some point. So you can see that big, large green bar at the top is Catholic at some point. We move to affiliated Catholics, those who self-identify still. Then the parish-connected Catholics, followed by the very active, involved parishioners. On the right, we've done a little math to help you vis visualize what this translates to on a typical parish. The typical mean parish has about 3,500 registered households, so of those, 3,500 registered households or so, about 3,000 people per parish attend Mass at Christmas and Easter um, and tomorrow. I don't, I don't have to tell you guys. Um, about 2,100 per parish attend Mass at least once a month. Um, about 1,000 attend Mass every week. And about 180 per parish are, quote, very involved in the parish outside of attending Mass. Those are your core folks, right? We get this inevitable question all the time um, about the hemorrhaging of Catholics in the United States. While it is true that there have been more out conversions in the last three decades, which is what this, this chart is showing you. Just wait for it, wait for it. Catholics still have one of the highest retention rates of religions in the United States. In fact, we estimate that a substantial portion of Catholics, up to 3%, which is no small slice when we look at the raw numbers, are reverts. Those are Catholics who left for a bit and then come back later in the life cycle. So the next time somebody yells at you that pew figure about all of the Catholics who are former Catholics and how they're all out there, you can say, yeah, we're doing better than the Baptists. <laughs> the second question we get then is about the plummeting mass attendance, right? Again, we just don't see any evidence of this. In fact, mass attendance rates have been pretty steady for the last 15 years or so. Okay. 
So to be fair, in places like Philadelphia, there's this feeling of fewer Catholics, right? Why? Where is this feeling coming from? Well, one reason might be that the registration rules are much higher than the weekly attendance. In some places, we estimate that as little as 38% of those registered in the parish are attenders. At the same time, there are these huge parishes, particularly as we discussed earlier, in the, in the cradles of Catholicism in the US, the Northeast, the upper Midwest. Um, maybe they're not massive, but there's a lot of them, right? I grew up in rural PA, where every block has a different flavored Catholic parish, right? Um, and they feel so empty on the weekends. Notice that none of our parish types exceeds 50% capacity relative to the size and attenders on a given weekend. So the feeling of losing Catholics is, is a real feeling, um, and it's reflected in our numbers. We just don't see it as a national trend. So we did a little bit of breakdown. Um, it is true that the people we do see in uh, weekly are not the youngest or the most diverse. Um, those most likely to be attending at least weekly are older, they're registered in the parish, they're white, and they're women. Okay, None of this is probably surprising for you, but isn't it nice to have figures to back yourself up? So let's end on a high note. If it lets me. Ah, there we go. The connection to the parish has some real implications. We asked folks what they thought of the new mass translation shortly before it came out. Of those who knew it was happening, mass attendance is a statistically significant predictor of positive evaluations of the new translation. What does that mean? It means that uh, the weekly or more respondents, remember our older, registered, white women, are more likely than others to see the move as positive, while those less attached to the parish are more likely to see it as not, quote, a good thing. Um, so being attached to parish life has some real implications, right? And I don't have, again, I don't have to tell you, you all dealt with the rollout of the new um, mass translation. So um, that's actually all the prepared remarks I have for today. Well, that's not what I meant to do, but there it is. Um, and I wanted to allow for some time for question and answer and maybe some bouncing back and forth on some of the things that I've given you. And I've tried to be particularly um, uh, questioning of these data. I want to know what the reality is backing up, especially that one about um, the, the um, evaluation of parish life from leaders and those in the pews. What do you all think it is? Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? So thank you.